Okay, we're continuing this morning in James. It's our pattern to go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're almost finished with James. We're in the last chapter, James chapter 5 this morning, and we're speaking on patience. We're calling it patience and time, but really, really, James this morning wants us to think about patience and to have patience, to be patient. I hesitate in it, honestly, because... I don't think we actually are very patient. <laughs> I think as a culture, I think as a person, I think most of us, we really are not very patient people. And The other thing I think about, honestly, I start thinking about, about when I was a doctor. Because it's a whole class of people, right? The patient ones. Patience. And actually, the Greek word, it doesn't mean waiters. It, that, that, in that sense, the patient actually means suffering. So... Suffering is a class of people they go to doctors and then doctors practice on them. Total bummer. The other thing was that when I was a physician that, you know, you had all these, these rooms you'd see patients in and you'd, you'd, you'd park them in and you'd talk to them and, and people would get healed or get helped. But all the frustration, all, almost all the frustration came from just one room. It was called the waiting room. That's because you'd have an appointment with a doctor, right? But your doctor always runs late, those crummy doctors. So 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, you're sitting out there waiting, and finally you just get impatient, you're done, and you're angry, and you're sad, and you come in, and at that point you're just mad. And really, if anything, that captures what patience is for us. It's not so much suffering, although suffering is involved perhaps, but certainly suffering while waiting just waiting. We are very bad at just waiting. I don't like it at all. I don't like long lines at Disneyland. I don't like long lines anywhere. I don't like to wait. And yet, today, we need to understand something very important about what it means to be a Christian. Because if I asked you this morning, I said, hey, hey, t- tell me a word really that captures what Christianity is, many of us would pick love. But there are many people in the world that love. Although it's, it's a good choice. That's not a bad choice. They will know we are Christians by our love. Yeah, right? I, I get that. Many of us would pick humility. I like humility, and there's a lot of truth to that because you turn from self-salvation to Jesus, and you, you give up on yourself. Really, the mark of the Christian is humility. Some of us would pick holiness, and there's truth to that because God sets us apart as a holy people. But not many of us would pick patience. And yet, really, in the way we're looking at it today, you should be encouraged that Christianity is patience. That's what it is. I want to show you, I want to encourage you from, from James. And Leo Tolstoy, he's a famous Russian novelist. He, he said that the two strongest warriors are patience and time. I think he's right if you're a Christian. I want to show you why, and I want to encourage you in that this morning from James. But for do that, we're going to look first at patience and, and, and what it is we're being urged to do as believers. So let's take a look. James chapter 5, verse 7. It says this. It says, be patient, James writes. Therefore, brothers, brothers means all of us, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord, 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Okay, so the curtain comes up this morning and we start this paragraph with a therefore. And and really that's the first word, it's the third word here, but it's therefore. And that looks at what we've looked at already, which kind of sets our stage. And the stage is this, if you remember from last week. Remember last week we took one more look at the law. It was a mirror and it showed us Not, oh, strong, handsome me, but wicked, sinful me yet again. And when sinful you, it showed us we're not who we should be. And and, and again, we have to go and say, oh, it's just humbling. And there's this humility about, I have no hope in me at all. Not only that, but societally, as we saw that that just by existence, really, these the rich take, take advantage of the poor. The righteous one doesn't even resist, James ends, verse 6 with. How terrible it is that our structure and our society, even the structural things, they just, injustice abounds and things that aren't right abound and, and, and how terrible it is. And, and so what I'm expecting him to do, James, I'm expecting him to say with injustice and you're not who you should be and, and that person's not who they should be either. I'm expecting him to say this, rise up, O men of God. Get to work. Get active. Get better. Make these things happen. And so how surprising that what he actually says is, therefore, be patient. Be be patient. Is he saying, don't get frustrated at your doctor? If I'm the doctor, I like that. But no, I, I don't think he's actually meaning that, huh? Is James saying develop a character trait of being unflappable? Well, well, maybe. Is he saying don't let you don't let your kids push you to frustration? I, don't, I actually think that's probably not what he's saying. Nor do I think he's saying that Zen masters make the best Christians. Be patient, right? But but he's saying something. What does that mean? I believe he's saying to be a Christian is to have put your trust in Jesus. So what is it we are doing? We are being patient towards a particular thing. What's the thing? Until the coming of the Lord. James is saying to be a Christian is put your trust in Jesus and therefore patience, real patience, it may be while you're suffering, but it is definitely waiting. It's patience plus time. We are waiting for an event, the coming of Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. I want justice. It's coming. I want to be done suffering. It's coming. I want to be done with this body of sin and death. It's coming. I don't want to have this clawing struggle for life. My relationships aren't what they should be. People are not treating me right. And well, it is coming. Or should I say, He is coming. Patience, right, for us, it's directed at a particular place. It's not in solving our relational issues. It's not with tamping down our sin. It's really about waiting for Jesus. The sad thing is, we're terrible at it. I, I think, I said we, so I'm putting myself, maybe you're, you're probably better at it than I am. 
But this is not just here in James. It's in other places too. Let me show you one. Here's Romans 8.25. We read it this morning. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, you see, our, my hope, my hope isn't in what I can see. I can see you pretty well. I can even see myself okay. I'm not trusting in you or me. I, my hope is in what I don't see. Who don't I see yet? Jesus. To be a Christian, this is what a Christian is. This is our, our foundational activity is to say we are those who wait for the appearance of Jesus. I'm just waiting for my Savior. That's what we're doing. Our hope's not in our actions here. Our hope is in what we don't see, Jesus himself. Do you, you see how that changes it from just a character trait to work on? Like trying to hold your tongue when someone's being particularly pokey? Not that you shouldn't do that. You should. That's a form of patience. But that's not the patience we're talking about. We're talking about waiting for Jesus. All of us. And waiting means then not getting impatient at God and His plan. Really, patience and humility, really they go hand in hand, right? They're almost almost the same because, because your patience is waiting for, for the Lord and the Lord knows when things are happening and I don't know. So I'm just having patience. I'm waiting. But I'm waiting for a particular thing. The danger of our life isn't that we sort of express frustration with other people. We do it. That's impatience. You shouldn't. The danger of our life is we forget our entire hope is in Jesus. We get impatient with God. We take action into our own hands. I'm reminded in 1 Samuel 13, you know the story probably, but it's the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. And I have to say it like that, Saul. Because he was big and he was handsome and he was mighty and he was the king. And there in 1 Samuel is sort of his first actions as the king. He goes out and he's going to fight some Philistines and he takes out a few garrisons of Philistines and he sends out the call to Israel. We're going to battle these Philistines. It was an amazing call, really, because you know, if you go through the history, it's kind of fun. The Philistines had taken away all the weapons that the Israelites had. Nobody had a sword. So it's all these guys with like farmer's hoes and, and, and little implements that they could find to fight the Philistines. 3,000 of them came. Really fun. But the Philistines heard about it. And they decided, okay, fine. They came with all their weapons and 30,000 people. And so you have this army of 30,000 people, and you had Saul who'd made this call to say, come, fight the Philistines. And, and his kinsmen came, and he had 3,000 people, and he wants to fight them. But they're looking, and they're going, oh, no. Um, we're just farmers. What are we going to do? And the Bible says they started kind of, some of the people at the edges, like Saul's not looking, they started going and hiding. They started kind of drifting away. We don't want to be a part of this. This is no. Saul's like, wait, wait, we got to bind people together. We got to pull them. We got to find the favor of the Lord. And they got to get excited. So, so we're supposed to sacrifice to God. And so Samuel said that he'd sacrifice to God, but he said, wait seven days. There's that waiting thing. Day six came. Samuel wasn't around. People are leaving. Day seven comes. Samuel's still not there. People are leaving. And Saul says, wait a minute. We gotta pull people together. We just gotta do it. We gotta do something. I'm, it's good to sacrifice to God. We gotta have this common purpose together. So I'm just gonna do it. And then, and that's what he does. He, he just goes ahead and on, on day seven, Samuel's not there yet. So he just does the sacrifices himself. 
not supposed to do that. The priest is. He's not a priest. And so, I think it's totally understandable, don't you? He's waiting. He said he'd be there in seven days. He's not there yet. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to do something. And you see in, in, in our vernacular and how we think, even how you and I think in our culture, we need to do something. And we don't see waiting as doing something. I see waiting as not doing something. And really what I need to do is get active, which is do something. And I forget that one of the things we do is wait. Saul forgot. Samuel eventually came, I think on that day, later in the day, and the deed had been done. Saul had said, I won't wait, and he gets it done. And, and God says through Samuel, that day to Samuel, today I've taken the kingdom from you. Because you acted on your own. It's remarkable, really. It, it's, it's, it's a bit of this, as you and I, we proclaim and we sing these songs, oh, my hope is only in Jesus, my hope is in Christ alone, and yet, And yet what we do every day is not wait for Jesus' return. It's about dependence. It really, life for the Christian is all about the wait, right? We're like the farmer, the text says. Isn't that what it said? We're like the farmer. Well, come up. I think I had it there. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. That, that, that's, that, that's, I'm not a farmer. Okay, I know I'm going to make a mistake, and you guys who are farmers can tell me this early and late rain stuff, but I think the point's not hard to find, even in the dark. The point is, e- the point is easy, right? The point is this. The point is that, that what you have is, is you got the farmer takes precious seed, maybe all he has to eat, and, and, and he says, no, I gotta plant it, and so he puts it into the, into the ground, and then it rains, and nothing happens. I hope, I hope, I hope it'll make food for me. Maybe after those early rains, you see a little pop-up of, of, of a plant, but there's no food on the plant, and, and you've got to wait even longer for the late rains, and you've got to hope that the late rains aren't too hard, so it will kill the plant, or too little that the plant will die and you won't have any food. You don't really know if you're going to have food. And you're just waiting, hoping that you'll have food. You and I have had a seed placed in us. We've been born again by the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to not be, we don't know yet what we're going to be like, but we're going to be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. When will we see him as he is? Not yet. (laughs) I'm waiting. You are too. It's not just about the attitude of patience. It's also about time. Let's talk about that for a minute, because James keeps going. Here he goes. He says in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do you see what James is hammering into our hearts this morning? Waiting. That's doing that's what we're doing. Time is passing. What are we waiting for? Am I waiting for, I'm waiting for things to happen in my life right now? Am I waiting for things to change on this earth and justice to come right now? No. I'm waiting for Jesus. 
I'm waiting for Jesus to return. Actually, what he says, it's a really strong word. This word, establish your hearts. Establish. It means kind of stay here and build on this. Build your house here. Pitch your tent here. Don't move from here. Put down your stakes here. This is where it is, you guys. This is where it's happening. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's about that peace, right? This time that we're waiting for, as time goes by, and, and it's difficult for us. The reason why it's difficult for us, I know, for me anyway, I can testify. I get, became a Christian when I was eight. So what, 40 years? Every day to say that Jesus is near? But he, he didn't come. He didn't come on year 15, day 32. Or on year 25, day 57. Or yesterday. So I lose that. I lose it. I lose the, I lose the imminency. I lose the, the wonder. I lose actually the, the waiting. And what I do is I start to say, well, I, I, I better get to work. I better work on me because I don't know if Jesus will get here anytime soon. And I lose the idea that, that my, my, my hope isn't in these things I do. My hope is in Jesus coming back. It seems so futile to live a life of waiting. Simple waiting for Jesus to return. Yet, yet that's, I think, what trust really is, isn't it? I, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever read the, it's a famous American play. I had to read it in high school and again in college. It's called Waiting for Godot. It's a play by Samuel Beckett. and they, It's an existential play where they talk about the, this, this man named Godot who never comes. They even put a chair on the stage for him, and they talk about him coming, and they did, they, I mean, it's a little bit boring, and they just talk. But the whole thing is they're waiting for this person that never comes. The idea that is that he never will. That's not us, right? We're so different than that. Why are we different? I know he's coming. This is my whole faith is that Jesus said he's coming again. When he comes again, he's prepared a place for me, and he's going to take me to himself. That, that's, that's John 14, right? Or, or, or 1 John 3, where it says that, is that I don't know what I'm going to be like, but I know that when I see Jesus, I'm going to be like him. Because I'm going to see him as he is. This is the content of my faith. Is I know Jesus is coming. I know it. Question is, what am I doing? Am I waiting? This, this is the issue, this kind of waiting, this patience, waiting for Jesus to show up, not keeping from being frustrated by my kids or exhibiting sort of deep breathing techniques. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This reality, if you'll, if you'll pull into it, if you'll actually reset your thinking, if we'll be encouraged with each other to say, no, this is our main activity, is this waiting, it starts to impact how you have relationships with other people. It does, right? In fact, you even see it right here. You start to see that if really you are waiting for, for Jesus to return, you're not, you're not as concerned about the things that are happening out here. You, you, you suffer. You hurt. But they're not integral to you. The integral to you thing is, is Jesus coming? And, and you see it in the text. You see that it's almost like this little, um, in the Greek, it's kind of fun. It's, it's, a, it sounds the same. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand is our main waiting. And then this next statement, don't grumble. 
In the Greek, you would say this. Sterizate, not stenatsate. Kind of sounds the same, huh? Hey, you guys. Sterizate, don't stenatsate. They're connected. He's making a wordplay. He's saying, hey, as you wait and you establish your hearts and you're waiting, you're not grumbling. Now, grumbling. You might have cause to grumble. I mean, in some sense. People may really do bad things to you. You may be right to complain against them. It may be something they've really done that you could say, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. I have cause to be complaining and grumbling about them. Why would I not do that? Well, look what he says. Don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold the judges at the door. What, what is that? Do you realize that when you start doing this, when I start taking my eyes off of what I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for Jesus' return, all of my perfection, all of the things that are going to happen to me, all of the awesome things that are coming, or Jesus' return, and I take my eyes off of that to complain about you, I'm judging myself. What am I doing? I'm not patiently waiting for Jesus. I'm complaining about you. I'm judging myself that my heart's not in the right place. And, and you know what? God has great compassion and mercy for that. But, but it's still something that judges you. And really, we should be impacted with anything that's wrong, anything that's unjust. Guess what? What's my faith? Jesus is coming. Who's Jesus? He's the judge. What's he going to do? Make it all right. If he could come back at any moment, if my Savior really is at the door, and even though I struggle to believe it because it's been so much my even short little life, he hasn't come back. So I start to say, well, maybe he won't come back for a long time. But, but the Bible says he could come back today. And James says he's at the door. Then what I should be is like always thinking, my Savior will make it right. Do you realize Jesus is going to make it right? Do you realize that's, that's our faith? That's what he is. Life, really, life is not about justice now. Life is about justice coming. It's coming. Life is not about improvement now. Life is about perfection coming. You realize that? We will be perfect. Life's not about getting it done. Life is about waiting because we have this hope. And, and when Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he looked out and he said, he said, oh, Jerusalem. And he said, yet, I wonder if I find, will find faith when I come again. I think he's talking about this. I think he's talking about people who say, I, I'm just waiting for my Savior's return. This is my only hope. Or all my, all my ducks in that basket, all my eggs, whatever, all my treasure, everything. 1 Peter 1 says it this way. It says you are to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see the time you're aimed at? You see why this is about time? You're setting your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. Not on the grace that is brought to you now. Because for many of us, we struggle and, and this world hits us and we struggle physically and we struggle relationally and we struggle with our own sin and we struggle with other people's sin. All this stuff is on us. And it's so easy to start saying, okay, I just got to handle this stuff. But as a Christian, our hope is on the grace that will be brought 
when Jesus comes. It's going to be fantastic. We are farmers waiting for the harvest. We are beggars waiting for the return of our beloved king. That is, that is who we are. I tried to make up a little story about it, so here, here's a try. It's like, it's, like, it's like you have this Hollywood celebrity you just have always longed to meet, and he's, he's, he's holed up in this you know, camper trailer thing that they hole up in, and you're waiting for him to come out the door, and you're just sitting there, and hours go by, and it's hot, and you start going, well, I hope he's going to come out. When is he going to come out the door? I, I just have to meet him. I've always longed to meet him, so I'm waiting to meet this, this celebrity person, and so here I am waiting, and all the group around me is waiting, but some people say, well, it's... it's uh, some people say, hey, I know, forget it. He, he, what I'll do is I'll go get my hair cut, and I'll get go dressed up, and I'll go do a bunch of good things, and all the good things that I do will attract that celebrity over to me, and he'll come meet me because of my good stuff. Some people say, forget it. Forget this waiting for this person. I'm, 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 I'm out. Peace out. I'm going to go escape it all. Let me go do some drugs. Find something somewhere else than waiting for this celebrity to arrive. Other people, some people sit there and they, they, they sit there and they're waiting, but they start going around going, man, this crowd stinks. You really are stinking up the joint. Go away. Get away from me. And yet, and yet, the only thing that matters is when that door opens and the person comes out and your whole life was meeting him and you get to. That's your life. Jesus does all this all over the place in, the, in his teaching when he was here. I'll take just one. It's in, it's in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, hey, hey, blessed are those servants who are waiting when the master comes from the wedding feast. You know, he's been out partying. He's been out celebrating. He's been out doing his thing. And the master starts coming home. He says, the, the, the servants are just waiting there for the master to arrive. It doesn't say they're cleaning the house. It doesn't say they're doing it. They're just waiting for him to come in the door. So they'll be just ready to welcome him. <laughs> Don't miss your moment. In other places, Jesus talks about the ten virgins and the lights and the lamps and stuff. But in this particular one, Jesus just has them wait there. And when the master actually comes, because he will come, and he comes and he sees these servants and he says, oh, you're waiting for me. How cool. He goes and changes his clothes. He tells the servants, go kick back. The actual biblical term is recline at table. Go check it out. Luke 12. And he puts on servants' clothes and he serves them. That's our Savior. That's what we're waiting for. I don't want to miss it. I do not want to miss it. This is hard for us. We forget. We need encouragement to establish our hearts that all that matters is the moment when the door opens and he's here. Don't miss it. It's our life right there. We're waiting for the return of our Savior because, because he adores us and he's promised us and he will glorify us. He will. We need encouragement, and I think James knows we need encouragement, so he gives us some examples. Let me just show them to you briefly. Examples. James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them blessed who remained steadfast. 
You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, you know, tranquil waiting, even while suffering from people who have their hopes in other places. Do you, you know this makes us weird? You know you guys are weird? This is, it's not so weird in our culture to love somebody else. It's not so weird in our culture to serve somebody else. It is weird to be waiters. And I don't mean on tables. It's weird. Why are you guys just waiting around, waiting for Jesus? He hasn't come. It's this whole passage in Second Peter where markers come and say, yesterday is going to be like tomorrow. Tomorrow like the next day. He'll never come. We are weird. The word in, English, in Old English you might use is peculiar. Of course, we are a, according to the Bible, a peculiar people. First Peter 2, verse 9. Peculiar, set apart, different. Why are we different? We're not so different by, by our love, though our love is amazing and it's from the Holy Spirit and, and it's cool. I think we're particularly peculiar because we have our hope fully set on Jesus. And so these prophets, and he lifts up the prophets, the prophets who, who though they were pushed into wells like Jeremiah, or though they were whipped or beaten, or though they were chased or, or, or looked to be dead, though all these things happened to them, they held fast to the truth. They didn't see as clearly as we get to see, First Peter 1 says. But they saw... And they held fast to the truth. They patient to speak the truth of what the Lord said. And, and our truth is this. My only hope is Jesus. He's coming again. Right? The prophets, they longed for a coming kingdom. They suffered and died. And then there's Job, steadfast Job. Who hasn't heard the story of Job? But what we've normally heard of the story of Job is something like, okay, Job, and there's the accuser, and he went to God, and he said, oh, yeah, Job won't still hold fast to you if you strike him down. And so Job's family dies, and Job gets covered in boils and terrible things, and he's suffering. And yet his wife even says, curse God and die. And Job says, no, I'm not going to curse God and die. I won't do that. It's not right. And finally, finally, Job um, has all these friends that come, and, and it's all about Job's suffering. But, but, what, but what James wants you to see is you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. He held fast. You guys, you can. You can wait for God. You can in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial. You can do it. Hold fast to your only hope. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate. And merciful. <laughs> Excuse me? How is what God did with Job compassionate and merciful? It's the end. It's the end. If you go to the end of Job, and you remember what the Lord did, do you remember? The Lord restored the fortunes of Job. He didn't have to. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. You see, the Lord made it right, but not just right. He made it overflow. When? In the latter days. At the end. This is what James wants you to see. He wants you to see that patience is for the coming of Jesus. And the coming of Jesus is our hope. He makes all things new. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. He's coming. And this is our hope that we hold on to with both hands, with our whole arms. 
This one. The Lord has good for us. It is coming. Hang on. Be encouraged that the great saints of old were all about faith. They weren't about achievement. They're about steadfastness. The achievement was holding on. Hold on. Okay, I come back to this. The two most powerful warriors are patience and time. Why? Because patience and time equal what for you and me? Heaven. Patience and time is heaven. If my trust is in Jesus, I just need to wait. And he's coming. If I die first, he'll resurrect me. Patience and time. This is a great truth aimed at crushing Jesus because none of his promises fall. He promised he's preparing a place. He will come again. Patience plus time equals his return. And this is my hope. I hope it's yours. How we need to encourage each other not to get our eyes off of his return. To, to get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on your hope. I'll leave you with this. I, I, I used it already, but First Peter 1, 13. Just think about this. Therefore, it says, preparing your minds for action. Okay, get your minds ready. Ready to act. Being sober-minded. See it clearly. This is what we're going to do now. We're going to act. Set your hope fully on the grace. Not enabling grace right this minute. On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation that's the coming the second coming of Jesus Christ this is our hope our hope is what's coming our hope is in future grace our hope is in what Jesus has promised and we by faith alone get to participate in the most amazing thing you will ever taste in your whole life and you will taste it for eternity. Fellowship with Jesus that you cannot experience now because we haven't seen him. We get the Holy Spirit. He is wonderful. But our Savior comes. He does. So may I say to you with temerity today that all good things come to those who wait because all good things is Jesus. And he's coming. So buy in, will you? Encourage each other that we are waiting for the return of Jesus. That's what makes us the community we are. And we say, yes, yes, yes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. And my Savior comes. Let's pray.